Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 10. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. It says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Let's just pray one more time together for that God would speak to us through his word tonight. Jesus, hallelujah, God, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would minister through it in Jesus' name. God, I pray you would know our ears to hear what you would have us to hear. God, I know I'm going to have to say what you would have me to say. I pray in Jesus' name. God, let everything be clear. God, speak to us tonight, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You can sit if you'd like. Um, the last little while, I said for last week, uh, we were talking about different relationships. I think we'll end it um, this week. Um, but the relationships, we've been saying, are an important part of our lives. No man is an island. We need each other. We need our relationships with each other. Um, I said before, I heard somebody say that I'm the same person with everyone, uh, which isn't true because all of our relationships are different with different people. Uh, We've got close ones, friends, uh, mentoring, whatever, uh, parental relationships from both sides if you've had kids. we have acquaintances, people we just we hardly know, we, we greet them or whatever. We've got um, you know, church relationships, pastors and saints and um, disciples, disciple makers, whatever, um, bosses and employees, husbands and wives, all these different things. And um, and that's, that's fine. Relationships, um, they can be a little tricky, a little complicated, we said, and so we've been talking about different relationships in the Bible, where we can learn from them, the benefits of having these kinds of relationships. So the first week we talked about a little boy and an old man, if you remember that. Uh, the second week we talked about a younger man and an older man, Elijah and Elisha, and then two weeks ago we talked about, oh, knocking this over, a couple of traveling companions, Paul and Silas. Um, today, um, it's going to be, we're going to talk about four people. Uh, it's not going to be the same kind of style. Um, but anyway, so we, we started off, we, we read Philippians 3 and 10, and Paul says in that, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. So this is Paul, Paul's goal. He says, I want to know Jesus. I want to know his resurrection power. I want to know, um, I want to fellowship in his sufferings. And there are three characters in the New Testament who actually experienced all three of these things together, physically. And I know it's possible for us to do these things, obviously, but it's spiritual with us. Of course, we, we weren't there when Jesus was physically um, suffering and, and died and all that. So... These three people that we'll talk about tonight were there, and their names were Peter, James, and John. I'm not going to talk about them fishing, but Peter, James, and John. Um, There are three occasions in the New Testament, three times 
where they shared in these things with Jesus. Paul said that I may know him. Um, the transfiguration is where Jesus revealed to Peter, James, and John who he really was. And there was a voice from heaven like there was with John the Baptist and all that. And then the power of his resurrection, not only when Jesus resurrected himself, but these three were in the room when Jairus' daughter was resurrected. And then he says, the fellowship of his sufferings in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus took these three apart from the other disciples. So we're going to go through these three stories um, together tonight because I hope that this is our prayer and our goal like it was Paul's. That I may know him. In Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 to 9, I'm going to read all these tonight on the English standard because they're mostly stories and it makes it a little easier to follow along. Um, verse 1 the nine, it says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. So this first story, Jesus takes his disciples up to the mountain, and then he takes the three of them a little further. And it says he was transfigured. The word transfigured means transformed into something more beautiful or elevated or uh, change in form. Or appearance, a metamorphosis, or an exalting, glorifying, or spiritual change. So there's a change, a physical change that takes place with Jesus. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to the top of the mountain. They leave the crowd. They leave the other nine because the closer you get to Jesus, the less people you'll find around you. And so Moses and Elijah, they show up in this vision. And Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. It also shows that God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Because even though Moses died and Elijah didn't, they're both alive in the presence of God. So um, this happens and Jesus' appearance has changed and he shows the three of these men who he really is. And if you know anything about Peter, Peter opens his mouth a lot. And so it's no surprise that Peter's the first one to speak. He says, Lord, it's good that we're here. And if you wish... I'll make some tents, three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. In other words, Peter says to Jesus, let's just stay here. I can set up some tents. You guys can have some tents. We can just stay here in this incredible moment and never leave. And growing up, um, we used to have these amazing altar calls at our church. And I would hang out there. They were done. They, people would stop singing. They'd leave. 
the musicians would jam for a while, um, and I would just sit there basking in the presence of God until they, sometimes I had to turn the lights off to get us to go. Because um, we didn't want to go. Because when you do, when you leave His presence like that, it's back to the real world, back to problems, back to issues and bullying and relationships and tough decisions and work and all that stuff. There's something about just being in this presence sometimes you just don't want to leave. Peter says, let's just set up some tents and we'll stay here. And the voice from heaven comes and echoes the voice with John the Baptist and reveals to Peter, James, and John who he is. And Peter just wants to stay there forever. But the thing is, as incredible as those times are, as incredible, as wonderful as the presence of God is on the mountain top or at the altar after an amazing service or sometimes even driving in your car, you know, worshiping with your whole heart, as amazing as these moments are that we have with Jesus, that isn't always real life. It's real, yes, but you can't stay on the mountaintop. Moses went up, and Moses came down. Peter, James, and John went up, and Peter, James, and John went down. The whole point of a mountaintop experience isn't just to stay there. The whole point of the mountaintop experience is to take that revelation, what you experience there, take that spirit and take it down into the valley. Because life isn't all mountaintops. Life is valleys and heartbreak and bad news and bad reports and all that. It's also mountaintops, but it's all of this stuff put together. And we don't live, Jesus didn't call us to live up on a mountaintop away from everyone. We can't just stay in his presence, you know, hold it all together for ourselves, stay in the church house, if you will. The whole point of this entire thing is to bring it down off the mountain. Jesus says, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead, which implies that after I'm raised from the dead, I want you to tell them. It's not just about me getting in the presence of Jesus. It's about me getting to know Him, to see His might, to see His power, to see who He is, about, and about me getting that and then sharing it with someone else, coming off the mountain and share it. Peter shares this experience in one of his epistles, in 2 Peter 1, 16 to 18, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we were made known to you the, present, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received, sorry, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We overheard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter remembers that moment and he shares it with the churches all over. He writes it in a letter and this letter is sent out to all the churches. Because the whole point of Jesus showing us who he is is so that we can show others who he is. That I may know him. I want to know him so that I can introduce others to him. That I may know him, should be one of our goals. And one of the other disciples that were there, his name was John. You may remember him. If anyone had a revelation of who Jesus 
was and the greatness of Jesus, it was John. He wrote a whole book about it. Revelation 1, 1 to 2, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. John knew Jesus, maybe even better than anyone else. God showed him the incredible things that I may know him. And then Paul goes on to say, in the power of his resurrection. In Luke chapter 8, verse 41 to 42, it says, And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Verse 49 says, While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. When he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, and he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. By taking her by the hand, he, but taking her by the hand, he called out, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them not to tell to tell no one what had happened. So Jesus goes to Jairus. He had come off a boat. Jairus met him and said, you need to come. Uh, my daughter's sick. You need to heal her. And he's on his way. And uh, the woman with the issue of blood touches him. Uh, his garment gets healed. All that stuff happens. And he gets there. And they send a messenger. And says, you know, it's too late. She's dead. Don't worry about it. You know, leave Jesus alone. But Jesus shows up at the house. He goes with all his disciples. He's greeted by a host of people at Jairus' house. They're crying. They're mocking. They're doing all these things. But he only took three people in with him, plus the mother and father, Peter, James, and John. And there are all kinds of theories about why Jesus chose these three to be included in these special moments. Some say it was their faith. Some say it's because they were um, with him the longest. Uh, there's theories about the 12 disciples or the 12 tribes, and these three represent the faithful tribes of Levi, Benjamin, and Judah. And some say Jesus is a teacher. And um, who does a teacher spend the most time with? The trouble students. So they think maybe they just need a little extra bonding time with Jesus, maybe. And some say maybe he just preferred their company. The Bible doesn't really say, but it does say that these three were there. And so Jairus meets them. And he goes through this whole story. And they get there. He takes them in to the room where the daughter is. He kicks all the others out. And Peter, James, and John get a, an intimate front row seat to see the resurrection power of Jesus. This is the second person recorded that Jesus resurrected. The first was the son of a widow in Nain. And at that funeral, Jesus shows up, just raises the boy from the dead in front of everyone. They're like, wow, a prophet's here. But this one's different. There are naysayers. There are negative Nancys, if you will. Jesus shows Peter, James, and John that you've got to get rid of this stuff in order to see the miraculous. If you want to see the miraculous, you don't need a crowd. 
You need faith, you need a need, and you need Jesus. And that's it. So Jesus removes all of these. I want you to look at this story. Acts chapter 9. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since uh, Lydia, or Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So they're all there, sad, just like Jairus' house. People are weeping because somebody has died. It says, but Peter put them all forth, or Peter put them all outside, and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise, and she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up, and then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa that many believed on in the Lord. Peter does exactly what Jesus did. Peter removes everyone from the room the same way that Jesus did. And Dorcas, or Tabitha, whatever you want to call her, she's raised from the dead. And this is the whole point of today's Bible study, lesson, sermon, whatever you want to title it. The whole point of what Jesus was doing with his disciples, and specifically with Peter, James, and John, he, he doesn't just show us things to show us things. He shows us things so that we can take it out there. The whole point of Jesus working in my life isn't just to work in my life and show me how awesome he is, because I already know that he's awesome. The whole point is for me to take what he's done and apply it out there, and to share it out there and let him work through me. And Peter saw Jesus raise a girl from the dead, and as soon as the opportunity came for him, he did the same thing that Jesus did. The same way. And that's the point. Jesus showed them how to do it so that they could do it and spread it elsewhere. In the power of his resurrection, Paul says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And Peter experienced the resurrection power of Jesus firsthand. The rest of Philippians um, 3 and 10 says, The fellowship of his sufferings. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before the arrest, Jesus went to pray. He was dealing with the weight of the cross before him and all of that. In Matthew 26, verse 36 to 44, it says, And Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, it would be possible that this cup pass from me, nevertheless not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. For the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass 
unless I drink the, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. So Jesus is in the garden praying. And Luke says that he sweat as if it were great drops of blood. Jesus himself says that he's in sorrow. He's in agony. He's suffering. He's brought all of his disciples, minus Judas. He's, he's doing something else. And he brings them all to the garden to pray. But three of them he brought a little further. Peter, James, and John. And he wanted them to be there. In the most agonizing time of his life, Jesus wanted his friends there to pray with him. Because that's how important uh, relationships are. If Jesus himself, at that moment, wanted people around him praying, how much more do we need our brothers and sisters praying with us when we're in those situations, when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel sorrowful or in agony or suffering. We need these relationships that we've been talking about. We need these people around us to support and pray with us, even though they blew it and they fell asleep. But he wanted them there with him. They fell asleep because sometimes they can be a little clueless if you read through the stories, and they miss what's happening here. They just thought, you know, they've been through many prayer meetings with Jesus. This is just another prayer meeting, maybe. And they kind of, they're tired had a long night. He, he's, you know, he's told them all kinds of things, and they're maybe a little worn out when they fall asleep. I don't know if Matthew is awake here to get these details. I don't know if it's just the three asleep, or they all are, or Jesus told them later what he said, or whatever it is. But anyway, Jesus takes these three further to pray, to partake in the fellowship of his suffering, if you will. He wants them to be there to experience this prayer, to experience this agony and this suffering that he is going through. And again, he didn't just do this to do this. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't just do things for fun. There's always a reason. Suffering would be a main part of these guys' lives in a little while. They're going to be, they're going to be beaten. They're going to be arrested. They're going to be whipped and thrown in jail and and murdered, and all kinds of things are going to happen to these men. They're going to lose friends, and all this stuff is going to happen. And he is showing them how to endure it, how to face it, how to go up against it. And even if you don't want to do it, endure it anyway. How to keep going so that when they are faced with suffering and temptation to avoid it or to give in or not drink from the cup or whatever, they would know how to go through with it. Jesus showed them how to endure suffering in the garden and later, a couple days later, or a few hours later on the cross, he showed them what to do as an example. And they lived it. Acts chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. It says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. James was the first disciple of Jesus to be martyred. The first um, to suffer with Jesus in that way. To partake in his suffering. But he learned how 
from Jesus. He followed his example. We don't like to talk about suffering. Um, or what we do, it's not anything close to what these guys went through. But Jesus gave them an example and they took it and they lived it. Again, Paul says, Philippians 3 and 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. This is a powerful statement from Paul. This is what we should all strive for. We've used Peter, James, and John as examples of this tonight. John had an incredible revelation of who Jesus was. He knew him like no other. Peter experienced his resurrection power with Dorcas, and James was the first disciple to be martyred or to suffer with Jesus. Paul does all of these things too, obviously. Paul, you know, had a guy fall asleep on him, fall out a window, pray for him. He was raised from the dead. Paul was Paul suffered. Paul was beaten. Paul went through all that stuff. He had an incredible revelation of who Jesus was. He did all these things too. But if we can learn anything from these stories and these men and their lives, the relationships with Jesus, it's that Jesus doesn't just do things just to do things. He doesn't just speak to keep it from getting awkward. To stop that silence. He doesn't just move because he's bored or he's restless. Whatever Jesus does, he does it on purpose and with a purpose. And at the end of his earthly ministry, Matthew says that Jesus said, Matthew 28, 19, 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. And Mark says in Mark 16 and 15, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The whole purpose of these experiences, the whole purpose of Jesus spending the three and a half years or so with these men, the whole purpose of these experiences that we have with him is that he wants us to go and to share it with everyone. He says, Teach them to observe all I have commanded you, everything I have shown you. Everything I've told you, this just wasn't just for fun. This wasn't just, you know, to have a good time or whatever so I could have some disciples and we could be friends and we could, you know, walk on water and, and do all these things and see um, bread multiplied and fish multiplied. It wasn't for all of that, just, just for fun. I want you to take everything that I've done with you. I want you to take everything I've taught you and I want you to share it and go share with someone else. And nowadays... We tend to express our faith in a couple of ways. We focus on the gathering, the church service. And the more we do it, we feel the better we are, the more spiritual we are. We also focus on being accepted into the church. And these are the two things we focus on. And that's not what Jesus was saying. So we have people all upset over lockdowns and viruses. I guess... Church gatherings are important. Yes, we need them. But the main goal, the main purpose is to go 
and to share with them what Jesus has done for us and in us. Come off the mountain. The mountain is great. His presence is amazing. The tie around the altar is incredible. But we have to take it outside and share our revelation like John did. And show his resurrection, resurrection power like Peter did. And share in his suffering like James. And strive for all three like Paul. So let's be like these guys and share what Jesus has done. That's how the church grows. I heard a guy say the other day that for 2,000 years the church grew. And then the last few years we've decided to write books on evangelism, which wasn't necessary for the last 2,000 years. As we become focused on programs and all of that, and it's not about programs. It's not about outreach as we think, you know, going out door knocking, that's fine, you want to do it, go ahead and do it. But it's not in a program, it's not in this trying to trick people to come to church and whatever, don't let them leave until they get the Holy Ghost. It's not about that sort of thing. It's not really how it's supposed to grow. It's in, it's in believers who have been to the mountaintop, who have seen Jesus work, who have been in the agonizing prayer meetings of the garden. It's people that have experienced these things and take those experiences outside. That's how the church grows. The church grows when we share what Jesus has done in us. So yes, let's draw closer to Jesus and then invite others along. Let's all stand. That I may know him. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. <sighs> Sorry my children were so loud tonight. There's not as many bodies absorbing the sound. But um, let's just pray one more time together.